truly has been a blessing uh, these past few months working through Philippians, um, and I hope it's, it's been a challenge and encouragement to you as well. Um, however, I'm also very much looking forward to having Essen back. You know, hopefully, this has been a, a summer of joy. I think he's going to be preaching on Lamentations next week. Just, just kidding. Sorry. Sorry. Couldn't help myself. Um, before we begin, though, I do have an announcement from the session, uh, just in light of the fact that well, most of us are aware, you know, our, our numbers, because of the Delta variant, are on the, on the rise. We just wanted to uh, give you this announcement, and that's this. The CDC recommends that fully vaccinated people wear a mask in public indoor settings in areas of substantial or high transmission. The session will continue to monitor the situation in our community and will keep you updated. Uh, and then we just want to continue to thank you for the ways that you are loving and supporting one another uh, throughout these many months, these challenging months. Um, but just wanted you to be aware, too, you know, we are, we are tracking things and, and keeping, you know, monitoring the situation. And if anything does need to change, we will let you know. So just wanted you to be aware of that. Um, so as I said earlier, we're going to be finishing Philippians. So if you want to turn to your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me ask you this question. Are you content? Right here and right now where God has you, are you content in your life? And your answer may be no because I just triggered you because I talked about CDC and coronavirus. <laughs> but despite that fact, are you content in your life? If not, why not? What things need to change in your life in order to help you find contentment? Now, Paul comes to the conclusion of this letter, and just like any of his other letters, he concludes... Um, with some greetings and with a benediction, uh, but he also shares a secret with the saints at Philippi. Paul is content because he's discovered the secret of what it means to be content, and he wants us to know what that secret is. Um, because if, if we're truly content, then our lives will be marked with joy and with peace, and this has been one of the primary points of his whole letter, is that we would know the joy that we have in Christ. So what is this secret that Paul has for us? Let us stand as we hear the Word of God read together. And I'll be reading for us from chapter 4, verses 10 through the end of the letter. This is the Word of God, and it is given to us in love. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that I, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with, you, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you 
for Jesus. And Lord, we do pray that as we study this passage this morning, that you would give us not simply the abilities to hear these words, but that we would understand them, and that we'd be transformed through the renewing of our minds. But mostly, Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus, and that we would know him more deeply and more intimately, and that our lives would be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So the secret that Paul has discovered, the secret to being content is found in verse 13. When Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul has discovered that the secret of contentment comes from Jesus alone. Jesus is the one who has enabled Paul to be content in any and every circumstance. He is the one that provides for Paul, that helps Paul feel fulfilled and helps Paul accomplish his life purpose. And sometimes God provides for his people through the church, through others. And this is where Paul starts. He addresses this gift that the Philippians have sent him in verses 10 and 11. And we see that he rejoices greatly over this gift. And he talks about how they have revived their concern for Paul and how that they had no opportunity, but out of their concern that they were able to send this gift. And he goes on in in verse 11 and says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so we talked about this much earlier in the study, but the Philippians had raised money and provided this gift to send to Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. And the reason for that is, is imprisonment during Paul's day is very different than how it is today. Uh, if a prisoner was responsible for providing for their, themselves, um, if they didn't have a family member or a loved one or somebody to be able to provide for them enough money to be able to buy food, they would go hungry and they would die. And so Paul was in great need. And the Philippians gladly provided this for them through this gift that came with Epaphroditus. And so it brought Paul great joy. He continues to rejoice over their friendship, over their faithfulness um, of the saints at Philippi. But I need to point out that there are some people that read this verse, particularly verses 10 and 11, as if Paul is being sarcastic. They argue that he's actually being kind of passive-aggressive in this passage. In essence, what he's saying is that, you know, well, thank you that I've finally received this gift for me, that you finally found time to send this gift in my greatest time of need. And actually, I don't even really need the gift, but thank you anyway. But that's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is truly thankful for this gift. He has repeatedly throughout this letter communicated to the church how much he appreciates them and he commends them over and over again. He knows that this church loves him and supports him, and he has a great love for them as well. He greatly appreciates their partnership in the gospel. He even alludes to this later on in verses 15 and 16 when he talks about how they were the only church, out of all the churches Paul had been involved with, they were the only church that supported him when he was leaving Macedonia. So Paul has no doubt about the Philippians' faithfulness. He has no doubts about their love for him and their support of his ministry. However, for some reason, and it's not given to us, we don't know the reason, but there was, for some reason there was a time, a period of time where they were unable to support They were unable to give him this gift because they lacked opportunity. But it's that they lacked opportunity. They did not lack the desire or the concern. It was Paul's imprisonment actually gave them this opportunity that they were looking for. It gave them this opportunity to love and to support Paul with this gift, to bless him. And that is what they did. And it caused much rejoicing. And so one of the things that we need to see here is one of the ways that God blesses us and provides for us is through one another. It's through the church. 
Sometimes that simply may mean that you need to help somebody who has financial needs. It may mean that you need to help somebody by using your, your skills or your talents with some issue that they're having that you can help with. It may mean that you just need to give somebody some of your time, being willing to sacrifice some of your time just to sit with somebody and to listen to them and to pray with them. God will use you to bless others. The real question is, are you actually open to that? Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your gifts and your talents? Are you willing to sacrifice possibly even your money in order to, to bless somebody, in order to serve somebody? The other thing that this verse shows us is that there might be times when God puts you in a situation where you're in a situation of, of great need and distress, and you need somebody else to come alongside you and to, to help serve you and to bless you and to minister to you. In this case, Paul was in prison. He was in a position where he was in great need, and he needed others, and in this case the Philippians, to, to come alongside him and to help him. So his imprisonment created this opportunity for them to serve and to bless him. So when you find yourself in a, in a difficult situation, when you find yourself in a particular hardship, don't just despair because God may have brought you to that position in order to create an opportunity for somebody else to serve you and to bless you and to come alongside you. Are you open for that? Are you open to receive help when you're in a time of need? You would think that question is always yes, but I'll tell you it's not. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. We aren't willing to receive help from others when that may be the very reason why God has put you in that position in the first place. So Paul was blessed by the Philippians, and this caused most, just, uh, lots of rejoicing by both parties. But then Paul does something interesting. He reminds us that it's not the gift that he received, that the gift is not the reason why he is full of joy. It's not the reason why he's rejoicing. The gift is not the reason even why he's, he's found contentment. He rejoices in the Lord. Jesus is the one who's ultimately providing for Paul, and he's doing this through his people. And Jesus is also the only source of his contentment. You see, Paul is not suddenly content because he's received this gift. He's not content because this burden that was weighing down on him has been suddenly removed. He is content in the Lord. And that is the key to contentment. But I think in order to understand this better, we just need to answer the question, what is contentment? What does it mean to be content? Well, the word that Paul uses here is an interesting word. It actually is related to this idea of being self-sufficient. It's self-sufficiency is what the word is related to. And that really is how the culture defines contentment, isn't it? Our culture basically says you are responsible for yourself. You need to be the one to provide enough money and resources and things to make you feel secure, to make you feel safe, to make you happy. And if you do that, if you can provide those things well enough for yourself, then you will be content. Worldly contentment means feeling safe and secure and provided for, and it's up to us to make that happen. But that's not what Paul means by contentment. Another popular approach to contentment is Stoicism. And Stoics, they believe that you can't always change your circumstances, but you certainly can change the way you respond to your circumstances. And if you can train yourself to always respond to circumstances, no matter how good or how small or, or how bad they are, no matter how big or how small they are, if you can always respond sort of in this even keel kind of peaceful way, then you will know contentment. So it's more about just developing and learning how to respond to all situations in the same way. 
But that's not what Paul means here either. To be content means to be deeply satisfied with where God has you right now, right here and right now. To be deeply satisfied with wherever God has you. And the only way that's possible is through Jesus. And that is the secret of contentment. So in a sense, Paul actually uses this word which means self-sufficiency and he changes it to mean Christ-sufficiency. Contentment means believing that Christ is sufficient. It means that believing that Jesus is enough no matter where you find yourself, no matter what your circumstances is, that Jesus is enough. It means that you trust Jesus to provide for you, that you trust him to protect you, that you you trust him to, to guide you and to lead you. You believe that Jesus is sufficient for all of your needs and all of your desires. Because whenever we lose sight of that, whenever we look to ourselves to provide these things, we will not be content. Why? It's because no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how smart you are, you are not sufficient. And you will never be sufficient on your own. You cannot ever provide what you need to be truly and fully safe and secure. You can never do enough to be fully satisfied apart from Jesus. You cannot make yourself content. We need Jesus. Just an example of this, Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, contentment is not found in creating our own security. It's found by abandoning our security to Jesus Christ. And Paul has learned this secret. He has learned that Jesus is sufficient, that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. So verse 15, or sorry, verse 13 is one of these verses that is quoted often. It's particularly here all the time in the realm of athletics and sports. And yet it is also a verse that is commonly misunderstood or at least misapplied. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what does that mean? What's well, not an expression of, of confidence in ourselves. And as much as I, I hate to burst your bubble, Paul is not telling you that you can do anything you set your mind to. That is not what this verse means. Jenny and I, Jenny is a huge fan of the Olympics, and so we've been watching the Olympics on and off the last couple of weeks. And one of her favorite things to watch is gymnastics, and so I've been watching a lot of gymnastics. And it really is interesting and, and amazing to watch what these athletes can do, to see them you know, contorting their bodies and flipping and doing all kinds of things. Um, and as I was watching it one night, I really had, I had this epiphany. It just hit me. And that is this, that next Olympics, I'm going to win a gold medal in gymnastics. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't find that funny. I don't... I mean, I have the grace of a rhino. I can almost do a somersault without hurting myself. No, I don't know why you don't believe me, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I mean, Jesus can make me into an Olympic athlete. He can make me into the best gymnast that has ever lived. Now, obviously, I'm being silly here, but that is how many people apply this verse. But that is not what it means. So what does it mean? Well, first you need to look at the context. Paul has been talking about this gift he's received, this monetary gift he's received. He's talking about, um, and he reflects on, on the fact that he's learned to be content no matter what his circumstances is, whether he's in times of plenty or times of want. And the reason he can be content is because he knows that Jesus is sufficient. 
Jesus is sufficient in times of plenty. Jesus is sufficient in times of want. Paul can do all things that Jesus calls him to do regardless of his circumstances because he knows that Jesus is all that he needs. So really the context is Paul is talking about serving the Lord wherever the Lord leads him. He's talking about fulfilling his calling. When he says that he can do all things, he's not talking about performing some kind of supernatural acts of strength. He's not talking about being able to do things that are beyond the way God created him. You know, God creates us all uniquely. We all have unique gifts and talents, and there are things that we just cannot do because God created us that we cannot do certain things that others might be able to do. Paul is talking about doing all things within the will of God for him. In other words, you can do all things that God calls you to do, not because you're sufficient, but because Jesus is sufficient. You can do anything and everything God calls you to do, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in your life. You can do everything that you're called to do because Jesus is with you and he will strengthen you to accomplish what he's calling you to do. Now, God may call you to be an Olympic athlete. He may not. God may simply call you to invite that neighbor you don't like over for dinner one night. He may call you to tell that co-worker about Jesus. He may call you to forgive your spouse who hurt you deeply. Whatever he is calling you to do, you can do it because Jesus is sufficient. Not because you're sufficient, but because Jesus is sufficient. Do you actually believe that that's true? Do you believe you can do anything God calls you to do because, God will, because Jesus will strengthen you and he is Sufficient. Al Chestnut once said this. He said, God will never call you to do something that you can do. Let me say that again. God will never call you to do something that you can do. You know, if we were only called to ever do things that we could do in our own strength, what need would we have for Jesus? We could be self-sufficient. But that's not how God works. Certainly there, God uses our gifts and our talents and our backgrounds and all of that and calls us to do things that are within our, our ability to do. But he also calls us to do lots of things that we can't do on our own. Why? It's because it's in those things where we realize that we are dependent upon Jesus, that we need him. And it also brings him glory. We are not glorying in what we can do. We glory in what Jesus can do in and through us. You see, Christians are not meant to be self-sufficient. We are meant to be Jesus-dependent. And that is the secret to contentment. As long as you stay focused on Jesus, as long as you depend on Him alone, and you truly believe that Jesus is enough, you will be content. And here's some good news and some bad news. We need to learn to be content. Contentment is not something that is just an innate attribute of a Christian. The moment you trust in Jesus, you're not suddenly discontent all the time. And that's the bad news. You cannot become content instantly simply by believing in Jesus. It's something that we must learn. We must learn to be content. And Paul, that's what Paul says in verse 11. But that is also good news. Because if you're here this morning and you just lack contentment, if you are just discontent in your life, if you don't like where things are at, if you're unhappy, then there's good news. You don't have to stay discontent the rest of your life because we can learn to be content. It's achievable through Jesus. Paul had to learn this. 
You know, how do we learn to be content? Well, it's not through, just simply through education. We can't just learn about what is contentment and how to be content. That's part of it. We learn contentment through experience. Look at what Paul says about himself in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul experienced highs. He experienced lows. He had to experience times of plenty and times of want. He had to experience times of hunger and need. And he had to experience those things in order to learn that he can do all things through Christ. He had to learn through those experiences, both the good ones and the hard ones, that Jesus is enough. And that is true for us as well. We need to first believe that Jesus is sufficient, that he is enough. And then we need to experience the truth of that statement as we live our lives. We need to experience his sufficiency in times of plenty. We need to experience his sufficiency in times of need. You see, typically we think of contentment as something that's based upon our circumstances. Like, we are content based upon how our circumstances are. And that is why we are rarely ever fully content. Because your circumstances are always changing. They will never fully satisfy you. But Jesus never changes. Jesus is always faithful, and he will always satisfy He alone can satisfy your deepest longings. He alone can fulfill your deepest needs. True contentment is found in Him alone. And once we realize that, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are because Jesus is all you need. He is the anchor and the foundation of being content. And the more that we understand this, the more this will profoundly change the way that we view ourselves and the way we live out our lives. So maybe you're here today and you just hate your job. You dread getting up every morning and going to work. You do it because you have to earn the money to pay the bills. But you get no joy out of it. You wish you could have a different job and and you just think to yourself, one day day I'm going to get a new job and then everything will be better and I'll be happy again. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you're, you're, just, you're in a bad marriage. And you actually look forward to those times you get to spend away from your spouse. And you think to yourself, this is not where I want to be. This is not what I dreamed for myself. I wanted something different. This is not what I wanted. Now, there are lots of other situations we could talk about that are like this that we can find ourselves in, and they're hard. They beat us down. And they can just, they seem utterly hopeless. And that is where this passage is such good news because Jesus is aware of that and he is enough. We can be content even in the worst of circumstances. His sufficiency enables us to live actually above our circumstances, not to be crushed underneath them. Now, I need to say a word of caution here. If you're in a situation that is dangerous to you or dangerous to your loved ones, Godly contentment is not calling you to stay in that situation. That requires wisdom and discernment, and we don't really have time to go into that this morning. The point I want us to see here is that if you're truly content, if you truly believe that Jesus is enough and that Jesus is with you, then that enables us to think more clearly, to wait more patiently, and to act wisely even in the most difficult and challenging situations of life. 
true contentment, being deeply satisfied in the sufficiency of Jesus, not only does it help us live our lives in a way that honors Him, but it also brings peace and it gives us joy. Because you are defined by Jesus. You're not defined by your circumstances. And not only are you defined by Jesus, you are also ruled by Him. You're not ruled by your circumstances. And this gets back to what Paul is talking about here. Since he has found the secret of contentment, he is able to serve Jesus wherever Jesus leads him. One commentator said this, Christian contentment makes us adaptable, flexible, open to wherever the Lord wants us because what we must have is Him. And if we have His presence, then we have enough. So what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do today? What is God calling you to do in your life? Because whatever it is, Jesus is with you and He is sufficient. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. You learn to be content by focusing on Jesus, by spending time with Him. So you may not be content today, but don't lose hope. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Continue to commune with Him daily. Experience His sufficiency in good times and in bad times. And as you do this, you will grow in joy and peace and you will become content, which means that you will also be open and ready to serve Jesus wherever He might lead you. Paul learned how to be content and he rejoices now from a prison cell. And the Philippians have learned how to be content and that has freed them up to partner with Paul even through sacrifice. And this is where Paul goes next in verses 14 through 22. In these verses, Paul shows that the part partnering with him in the gospel requires sacrifice. Uh, but that sacrifice actually leads to joy. So Paul is grateful for this gift that the saints at Philippi have sent him in prison through Epaphroditus. And this has reminded him of, of all the past ways that the church has supported him and has blessed him and has loved him. From their earliest days, they have supported Paul's ministry. As I said earlier, when he was leaving Macedonia, they were the only church that supported him. And then we see next, later on that when he was serving in Thessalonica, this church also supported Paul there. But the surprising thing about all of this is that the church at Philippi was a poor church. They did not have a lot of means. Anytime they were serving Paul in this way, anytime they supported Paul, it was a sacrifice on their part. And there's also an irony we see in verse 16. Because when he was ministering at the church at Thessalonica, you know, it was this church, church at Philippi, that was supporting him. But the irony of that is the church at Thessalonica was a wealthy church. They had a lot of means. And yet they were being supported by this poor church. It should have been the other way around. So the Philippians have a history of supporting Paul, and Paul rejoices over this. But not necessarily for the reasons you might expect. Yes, he's glad to have their support. He is happy to receive this gift. But it is not the gift that brings him great joy. He rejoices over what their gifts Represent. He rejoices over how the, what this gift reveals about their heart. That they truly want to partner with Paul. That they want to share in his sufferings. That they're willing to sacrifice in big ways in order to support the gospel ministry. And they did this not so they could be patted on the back. They made, made these sacrifices not so that they would feel good about themselves. They did it ultimately as an act of worship. We see this in verse 18. Their gifts were given as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their sacrificial gift pleased God. 
It was an act of worship. It revealed that they truly trusted God to provide for them. They could give sacrificially because they were not trusting in their money or their resources to support them and sustain them. They were trusting in Jesus. And Paul confirms to them that Jesus would indeed bless them and provide for them in verse 19. Now, there's much for us to learn here. Paul is talking about money here, and and let's be honest, we don't like to talk about money in church. This is one of those sacred issues you should never preach on, and yet that's what I'm going to do, because it's my last Sunday, so for a while. But but the Bible, it talks a lot about money. And here we see an example of of what money is ultimately for, how it is used, how we should view it. You see, we are called to be sacrificial with our money. We are called to, to partner with others in the gospel, to see the gospel advance through our sacrificial giving. And this is not always easy. I think one of the reasons why this is not always easy is money oftentimes is our, one of our primary sources of our security. Not only that, but money oftentimes also provides us with some level of, of significance of how we feel about ourselves. And the gospel freezes up from this kind of thinking because your significance, your security comes from Jesus. Your money will never make you content. Only Jesus can. And the more we understand this, the more we believe this, the more free we are to use money the way God intends us to. You see, we are are stewards. Everything you have, everything you have ultimately comes from God. And we are called to use that for His glory and not for ourselves. And this may mean using your talents, may mean using your skills, using your time, and yes, even your money. Paul reminds us of the glorious purpose of money here in this passage. When we give sacrificially and joyfully for the sake of the kingdom, when we use our money to partner with others for gospel ministry, it pleases God. It is actually one of the ways that we worship God. Have you ever thought about money in that way? That money properly understood and used is actually an act of worship. That is why, even though it can be awkward at times when we take up offerings in the church, it's actually appropriate. It's the right thing to do. It's a part of worshiping God, is giving of our time and our money and service to the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to worship God by partnering with the church and gospel ministry. But as I said, this can be difficult. It can be difficult to discern what our, where our heart is, what our motives are. And one of the ways that can help us do this is, is Sinclair Ferguson offers a couple of um, diagnostic questions that are just good to ask ourselves from time to time. And the first one is this, is, is are you really and truly concerned about the welfare of the Lord's servants, particularly like the, the missionaries and others that we support? Are you truly concerned about their welfare? The next question is, do you regard your Christian stewardship of money as a partnership, or do you simply see it as an investment that really has no return? But I think the most important question which we need to ask ourselves from time to time, and this really gets at the heart of the matter, is do you truly believe that God will supply everything that you need? Do you truly trust Him to take care of you? Now these are hard questions to wrestle with, but they're necessary. Because We give because the church here and abroad, it needs faithful Christians to partner with them in the gospel. But we give primarily because it pleases God. And it's one of the ways that we worship Him. And that really needs to be our primary focus. That needs to be our primary motivation. And we see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus is a giver. He gave His very life. 
in order to honor his Father, in order to love you. He gave his life so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And we're called to follow him. We do this by loving our neighbors. We do this by loving Jesus. And as you give, all that you have, as you give sacrificially, it glorifies God. And that's where Paul goes. Look at verse 20. He ends this passage with a doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So the, the context of this passage is this gospel partnership, particularly related to, to giving sacrificially of our money in order to support the advance of the kingdom uh, through its ministers. Money is a good gift from the Lord and is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to serve the church and missionaries and others that serve the Lord. But ultimately, money is given to you so that you can please God and worship Him with it. And as you do that, as we faithfully and sacrificially support ministry and, and honor the Lord in this way, just look and see what God will do with it. And we see even just an example of that here. We see this in verses 21 and 22. You know, Paul offers these various greetings, but the one that we should particularly see is at the end of 22, that those of Caesar's household greet you. These verses are easily overlooked, but they remind us that Jesus is building his church, that he is growing a fellowship of believers, and it is through the sacrificial giving of this, this small, poor church that had very little means. It was through their sacrifices that the gospel reached the very household of the most powerful man in the world at that time. The kingdom of God has come to Caesar's household. So don't ever think, don't ever think, that whatever you can give, that it's just too small. That God can't use it. God can use our smallest gifts for grand purposes that we will never even be able to comprehend. He used the small gifts of this poor church to reach the household of Caesar. Imagine what he might do through us. Paul rejoices over this partnership that he shares with the church at Philippi, and he shares with them how much he loves them and how much they mean to him. And then he closes his letter in the same way that he began. And that's focused on the grace of God. We see this in the benediction he offers in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Ultimately, he wants the saints at Philippi to be blessed. He wants to bless them, and so he does that by reminding them of the grace of God. Because he knows it's only through the grace of God that they will experience true joy. And that's how I want to close this series as well. Jesus loves you more than you know. And he lavishes his grace upon you. He has many promises he's given you. Just a few of the highlighted promises from this book. is He's promised to complete the work that he's begun in each one of you. You will be sanctified. He's promised that when we see Jesus face to face, when Jesus returns, that we will, be, we will receive glorified bodies and that we will be like him and we will spend all eternity in his presence. He promises us that if we stay the course, if we stay focused on Jesus, that we will experience more and more the presence of the God of peace in our lives. And the more and more we do that, the more we will grow in joy. And that really is my hope for all of us through this series, is that all of us will come out of this with greater joy. And the only way that's possible is by knowing Jesus more deeply, by trusting in him more fully, and by keeping our eyes focused on him. As you focus on Jesus, you'll have peace, you'll be content, 
and you will be full of joy. To him be the glory. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote many, many years ago and the, the many wonderful promises that are in this letter and the reminders of, of the, the many gifts and blessings that belong to us because we belong to Jesus. And Lord, I do pray first off, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray that today would be the day that you would mercifully draw them to yourself, that you would open their heart and their mind and that they would call upon Jesus, that they would come to know inexpressible joy through him. Lord, for those of us who are following you, Lord, we do pray that you would continue to show us patience and grace, that you would forgive us for the many times that we lose sight of Jesus, for the many times that we do lack contentment and that we seek to worldly things to find contentment when that can only be found through you. So, Lord, I do pray that you would help us grow in our knowledge of Jesus, not just simply about you, but that you would deepen our relationship with you that you would keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds ever focused upon you, and that our lives would be marked with peace, with contentment, and that our lives would be marked by joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.